Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 190 for Monday, April 25th, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as Tarnished Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello. I may I may have been playing some Elden Ring. Uh, and you can hear a bit about my experiences with Elden Ring if you listen to this week's Render Distance. You can also hear Joel talking about his experiences with the Elgato Stream Deck. And that's at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks, where you can sign up to join our patron community, support the show, and get the extended conversation in the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. We have also just had the monthly Minecraft Hangout for April, where we discussed a whole range of builds from folks in our community, from modern interiors and castle exteriors to map art and note block songs. Really fascinating discussion and super cool to see what everybody has been working on. That should soon be appearing on the patrons-only RSS feed, which already has the quarterly hangouts, which we had the previous weekend, where we discussed the behind-the-scenes stuff for the podcast. So it's all go here in Spawn Chunks land. Yes, I should be publishing the hangout just before publishing this episode of the show, so they'll be coming out in order. It's all going to be queued up. Uh, so what's been happening on the Citadel this week? How are you doing with, uh, uh, with West Hill and everything? This has been a pretty low-key week as far as West Hill goes. I have been doing the, the lean-back, thoughtful, foundation-placing, roofline-making process of uh, planning out the next area, which is the west side of West Hill, which uh, never ceases to be redundant when you're typing it out on social media. <laughs> West uh, West Hill, yeah. West West Hill. I've even thought about calling this area West Ridge because there's um, there's a ridge that has a very steep um, slope down to the river, which you can see in one of the overhead shots I'm sharing with mm -hmm. our live audience. And uh, the, the road itself is actually quite steep. It goes from uh, high up near the front north of the, the town all the way down to the south part at the docks. And uh, it took a while to kind of figure out like how I wanted this to look. Uh, it's been laying empty for a while because I just, I couldn't think about what style of builds and how I wanted to approach this because I'm tr trying to train my brain. Uh, we were talking a little bit in the, in the pre-show about like uh, inspiration for Minecraft and like um, time and history. And I'm trying to figure out how to make this look like the newer part of town and also the kind of fancier maybe more money sort of town like so if you're the mayor or the magistrate or if you're a wealthy family like this is the part of town you live in low mm -hmm. town was like the fishing village in like the the really kind of poor area the rest of the t town is kind of like basic functional but everything is kind of meant to look like it's been around for a while so i'm going to try to use like less cracked brick i'm going to use less stone brick if i can I get to change my, you know, my materials. There's going to be more calcite. There's, I'm already got some, some um, temporary like dark prismarine for roofs and things. I'm looking forward to using some copper for the first time in builds. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to expand kind of that kind of plan. But right now there's just an awful lot of spruce and diorite and granite and cobblestone because they're easy to, to differentiate on the map that I use, um, yeah. the map mod. And uh, and it helps when you're like looking at two buildings to like realize, well, where does this wall end and where does the new wall begin? That kind of stuff. Um, and that and also has brought in some lessons and like I'm, I've been packing these really close together, similar to how I was doing the other the other parts of the city. And I'm having to like dial myself back again and say like, no, 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 no. This this is a this is a a, a fancier part of town. So this dirt path that's a block wide or um, or whatever that's going to be around the side of this house is probably going to be paved or, or you know, cobblestoned or, or stone bricked. And it's probably going to be at least two blocks wide, if not three. Mm -hmm. um, 
And the tricky part there is that in Minecraft, three blocks wide looks like a road, two yeah. block wide look like a path, right? Like it just, there's a huge difference. Um, and so I ended up putting in a couple of like proper streets that are like five and six blocks wide going up into the woods because uh, I'm trying to roll with the landscape in this entire town. And, and there's a high point where I've got like a scaffolding tower, which I think I've mentioned this before. I'm sure you've mentioned this before on the show too, but like talk about a quick way to map out roof height. Just use scaffolding. Yeah. 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 No, you know, scaffolding like just, is so useful for stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a tower in the distance. That's going to be cool. And that's, it's the tower itself is not going to be just its own thing. I feel like it's going to be on top of, or part of a larger house, you know, like yeah. it's going to be like the, one of the things that this house kind of like sticks above the tree line. And um, realizing that if it's, if that's got a fancy house, then a, a path, a walking path up to that is not going to cut it. It's going to need something wide enough for like a, a horse and a buggy or something. So mm-hmm. I've got some more roads coming in. It took a long time to work out like the the spiral of the road. I, I, right now, I think in the screenshots, it's all blocks. But eventually, I've got the road down to all slabs. And that took a while. So there was a lot of like counting with Joel on Twitch. And um <laughs> stuff like that but it's it's come together and it was a fun thing to share with the twitch audience because i get to talk about like why i'm lowering this roof by a block because it looked fine but it like blocked a bunch of other things behind it and and it really helps when you're like putting in these particular frames because you can quickly see oh when i walk around this curved road I'm staring at this one build that's basically in like, we'll call it like the 12 o'clock position as you go around the curve, um, right at the, the, the bend of the curve. You're looking at that for almost all of the time that you're walking down the road. So that better be a really fancy, cool build. The build that is directly opposite of it, you hardly ever see. Yeah. So don't spend hundreds of hours, not hundreds of hours, but don't spend dozens of hours working on the build that's on the inside of the curve that you're just never going to look at or give it some sort of quirk, change its color, give it a tower, do something with that one on the inside that makes you look at it. So grabs more attention, but don't make it be too, too important. And so now I'm also thinking about the function and realizing I might've shot myself in the foot with some of these. I've packed a lot of these builds close together and some of them I might end up combining into like being two houses become one because I want to add purpose to them, like make a flower shop, make a shop or business or some sort of function on the ground floor with someone living upstairs. And to do that, I'm probably going to need to think about like, well, I want to design the interior first rather than be like, oh, this is going to be a really cool pub. And it's, I've got a five by five inside, which is really difficult to do anything with. Right. So yeah. I might have to think a little bit more about the internal spaces. Yeah, I think it's uh, actually kind of smart what you're what you're saying though with the houses kind of being on the the inside of the curve. It it makes sense because you've got like a effectively a blind spot there, right? And you can you can either make it stand out or kind of have it blend into the background. And you're much more thinking about sculpting the way a player looks at that area as they're exploring. And it it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I guess you're finding as well that if you get to the more expensive part of town you were talking about the materials you were using like prismarine and copper and stuff like that do you find that it makes sense to your minecraft brain that you're using materials which are more expensive in game terms as well as the stuff that looks more expensive because you're using less of the copper uh, sorry the cobblestone and the wood and the kind of stuff that 
comes very easily to Minecraft players that you're farming from kind of day one. I guess so. And I, it's probably just happenstance that more colorful blocks in Minecraft are harder to get, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. prismarine, the turquoise, the warped wood. I mean, warped wood is not hard to get, but like it's, it's higher up the chain if you look at everything from like, you know, grass and stone and, and yeah. regular wood that you get in the overworld compared to getting these more... Um, exotic uh, kind of woods, yeah. Exotic, like thank you, yeah. Depending on your nether spawn, it can be very hard to get warped wood, trust me. It's, right, I think, yeah. I think a, a warped forest was probably the last nether biome I found in my current world. So it's it's really all about just happenstance and luck if you want to start building with that stuff early. Um, yeah. So yeah, like it, it, it can be tough. And it's cool that you're now finding places for those to go in. And yeah, I, t I totally see what you mean about wanting to give the people in that part of town a bit more space because you think about, you know, they, they want to buy a house that has, you know, if not room for a garden, then at least, you know, at least a little bit of space around them so that they can feel separated from their neighbors and feel more important as a result. But uh, And that's the, that's the lesson that I'm bringing in from working in Somerville for the last three weeks on mm -hmm. Cosmic's Flower Farm is that, like, I want more flowers, I want more color, like, I, re I really want to try to leave space. And there's a lot of places where I'm like, crap, I haven't really left much space in front of the house between the house and the road, even mm -hmm. for just like a couple of hedges that would make sense, you know? So I, I need to try and remember uh, to do that. And that's, again, it's why I'm doing these in wireframes, like taking even the really fancy important house on that the bend of the road, if I need to push that back by a block, not the end of the world, you know, like yeah. it's not going to take that long. Um, I could even test it quickly to see what it might look like. Um, but uh, But gardens and having like little alleyways between the builds that connect to these little hidden areas that are like, you know, seven by seven or five by five that just have like some plants in the bench or something like I'm looking forward to having stuff like that peppered throughout. Most of that is, is not planned out in these screenshots. Most of that is going to be in amongst the trees. Again, I'm trying not to cut down too many of this, of the taiga uh, biome trees because I, I, I quite like the way that it looks. And I feel like one of the things that kind of would indicate wealth or indicate, you know, um, that kind of status in the town is like, I have enough wood. I have enough money to buy wood. I don't need to cut down this tree that's in my yard. I can leave it there for, because it's pretty, you mm -hmm. know, and, and not have to use it for function, you know? Um, but um, speaking of function, the one thing that I'm really looking forward to uh, exploring is I decided to have the moat. I don't know where the water from the moat comes from for the keep, but I know where it's going. It's going to flow around the corner and go down a man-made kind of like almost like a gate uh, which you can see in some of the screenshots and it then flows into a canal that goes underneath the wharf and out into the river mm -hmm. and i'm really looking forward to having like a little footbridge and having that be like an area that you can walk by and really kind of see what's going on um I, again i don't know where the moat water is coming from maybe it's a natural spring or something i don't know um but uh but yeah it, there's little touches like that that i'm hoping to put in throughout uh that i think will be uh be fun to kind of weasel in between the bills i'm just trying to make sure that i've got enough room for it. yeah yeah sure i think that's two of the things that people don't always take into account when they're city building in minecraft as well is that a lot of cities have both green space and water and you know if especially yep. in, in mm -hmm. medieval times if you're not close to a source of water you've got to get your water from somewhere because people have to drink it <laughs> and so like either frequent wells or you know some sort of path down to a nearby river even like there's got yes. people people have to wash their clothes in cauldrons in their houses you know there's there's different stuff you got to include there so it's 
it's fun to work with that stuff, even though, as we've covered on the show before, it is tremendously time-consuming reshaping waterways in Minecraft to go the way you want them. It can be uh, oh, pretty yes. satisfying as a <laughs> as a result. Yeah. The thing that I've noticed, too, with buildings being close together, like if you do that traditional thing with Minecraft, especially in medieval builds, where you've got the roof line or the roof of a build hanging over the edge of the actual um, floor of uh, the, the foundation of the building by a block. If you don't put your buildings at least three blocks away from one another, the roofs are going to touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so like I'm trying, I, I think, oh yeah, two blocks is enough. And then I put it on the roof and I'm like, crap, they touch. Like, okay, yeah. well, I guess this is a closed off area. Like, again, I, I, I might even be trimming these buildings to be like taller and more narrow just to make sure that some sunlight hits the ground at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, what what have you been up to in Minecraft this week? I've had a pretty technical week because I'm rebuilding my copper aging setup that I had on Empire's SMP. Um, I'm building it mostly the same as it is before, so uh, a flying machine with nine blocks of copper attached to each side of it gets pushed down the room where all of these redstone circuits are, and whenever one goes over the top of an observer, the circuit detects that a block is there and pulls it out to one side or the other. And then there's an isolator circuit built into it so that it doesn't uh, keep updating things as the rest of the blocks get pushed over there. Uh, But it's effectively like nine circuits that are spaced four blocks apart so that when you throw all of the copper into it, all of the copper can age at the optimal rate because copper ages best when it's not within four blocks of any other pieces of copper because otherwise they all try and retain the same age and they'll age much slower. Um, so I've been working on that, and it's been a lot of redstone components. I feel like I've used up my entire redstone supply twice over <laughs> at this point and had to go and farm some more from clerics or go mining for it or anything like that. And tragically, I don't have the infrastructure for a witch farm or a raid farm or anything that would provide larger quantities of redstone because I have to think of it in the context of the tutorial series I'm making and I'm just not there yet. But overall, it's been a really fun project to work on. Again, I like making redstone gadgets like this prettier, and even though this one is quite repetitive and you can't really do much decoration in between, I've got the redstone on honeycomb blocks and blue terracotta, and I'm using magenta glaze terracotta to have arrows illustrating which way the, the flying machines go and that kind of stuff. And it's all centered around a single walkway through the center of the room, or it will be once I've built that, but either side of that there are these copper loading stations, so the room kind of fans out to the left and the right with all of the areas where the copper stays isolated. Um, I'm planning on making a few changes and upgrades to the initial design for this because I've been dabbling a bit more in a creative test world and I have figured out a way, I think, of auto-detecting copper aging, which was is one of the things that I was trying to do at first and gave up on it because I didn't quite want to like I, I didn't want to spend a bunch more redstone components on it and I also didn't want to deal with the problems that the auto detection stuff throws up occasionally like what if a copper block ages before it gets to the place where it's being held which has happened when I've been been placing these before um but I think I've gotten a way around those or at least I can you know, problem solve as I go. And I know a bit more about redstone now that I, I'm willing to give this one a try. So I might be making some upgrades to it in the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, I've installed a blast furnace auto smelter there so I can get copper ingots pretty fast if I dig up some raw copper and bring it back there. And this is all underneath the dripstone cave where I've already built a dripstone based lava farm. So 
All I have to do now is throw a bunch of lava buckets into a chest. They get automatically dropped down into the fuel input for the auto smelter and blast furnaces just cook up all the copper for me. So one of the nice things about using lava as a, a fuel source is that you don't have to worry about like redstone to evenly distribute the fuel because yeah. the furnaces <laughs> only ever take one bucket at a time. Yeah, and it's, uh, and it's like six buckets, maybe seven because it consumes one if it starts cooking stuff already. And that's a hopper filled up. Like there's mm -hmm. one in the fuel slot, five in the hopper. That's it. No, that's no it. kind of yeah. wor no worries about like I've I've got three stacks of coal in this one and only one stack of coal in that one it's it's all pretty even across the board yeah yeah that's one thing that i i, I like and dislike about like using bamboo um is, mm -hmm. is that it just you, you can get it really quickly but then like your furnaces don't always all smelt at the same time unless you really have a lot of redstone going on that I mean, dude this looks fantastic like i this must be so satisfying as knowing knowing that you build your redstone stuff with as little kind of like you know tutorials as possible like you you know the components you might look up some ideas about how to use the components but you want to design the farm yourself mm -hmm. and having this kind of a, of an array you know d d designing a slice designing the function of a module and then building 20 30 of these modules in different directions like mm -hmm. it's such a satisfying cascading layout and the fact that you're using honeycomb blocks as well which you don't see used a lot in in builds because they're challenging to a point to, to work in they work really well with the honey blocks and yeah. they and they also just like they they're not the same as a copper because obviously the, the aged copper looks very different but the the original copper has got some echoes of the the honeycomb block in there as well and it's just fun to see that kind of block kind of used in the in this way and it adds some color in minecraft which we don't normally you know we, we don't often see depending um a lot of redstone builds are very like because they often use so many blocks, they're usually the easiest blocks to get, you know, yeah. stone, polished stone, iron. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if people have an iron farm, they just don't know how, they have more iron than they know what to do with. And because <laughs> those blocks also have borders, it makes them easier to see what's going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is really cool, man. Yeah, the, the color triangle I have going on of magenta, glazed terracotta, uh, fully oxidized copper and honeycomb blocks is <laughs> I'm kind of getting all of the colors in there I've got like a cyan yellow magenta kind of thing going on but I think um, there's interesting combinations like that coming up like throwing honeycomb blocks next to dark prismarine and blue terracotta and a bit of spruce wood has been really nice as well and and so I'm sort of starting to theme a few of these areas around that I've got dark prismarine bringing the water down that's you know transporting all of the lava buckets to the the fuel inputs and stuff so there's there's a few different materials and I want it to feel colorful because the entire cave around it is all stone dripstone and granite and so I want this to be like a splash of color in here and we'll probably decorate it in slightly more muted colors so the machine itself actually stands out a little more um, but yeah, that's a work in progress right now. I am now able to get a lot more of the terracotta because I have some blue ice boat roads in the nether now, which take me to the nearest patch of Badlands, which is about 10,000 blocks away uh, diagonally. It's about 8,000 in one direction and then 6,000 in another. Um, so, so that was really difficult to get to. It was just time consuming to fly there and um, now I'm able to do that in the nether and I have a straightforward path that takes me there all spawn proofed so I don't end up with piglins just stepping onto the track in front of me as I'm trying to you know coast down this tunnel and that was really time consuming but very rewarding because the badlands area I found is 
Badlands as far as the eye can see. Like if you stand in the center of it, there's maybe a couple of small patches of desert that are landlocked inside of all of the eroded Badlands and Mesa terrain. So I'm, wow. I'm very, very happy I found an area like that because the first Badlands I found was basically one corner of a desert and it was not very big. And so I thought I'm going to need some more terracotta. Um, so hopefully, yeah, that won't exhaust itself in any great hurry. Um, and I think the last thing I'm going to do this week, I'm going to return to my Wither Skeleton farm, which I left as soon as I had three Wither Skeleton skulls, but I've already flattened out the areas of three crossroads in a nether fortress in a warped forest. So I'm getting absurdly high spawn rates from that. I'm probably just going to bring a piglin back there to get all of the Wither Skeletons out, maybe an Iron Golem to flush out all the magma cubes and some turtle eggs for the zombie piglins. And then all I'll have left to worry about is the blazes in terms of what's spawning there and how frequently we can refresh the Wither Skeleton spawns. So as far as a lo-fi Wither Skeleton farm goes, I think it's going to be pretty productive. Cool. Uh, with the, the ice boat roads, did you build those at right angles or did you do a diagonal, like direct at the location? Oh, it, for it, the... Had to be, it had to be straight roads. It was two straight roads. So you go oh, okay. you go like 950 blocks in the nether in one direction. Then you do a sharp left turn and go, you know, 600 that way. Because oh, otherwise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not far. It's, you know, it's 1,500 blocks worth of tunnel. It's a three by three, which took a little while. But then... Mm-hmm like in terms of the the diagonal stuff it's so much harder getting diagonals right with boats because you're always bumping off the corners you lose all your momentum it probably Mm. takes twice as much if not three times as much ice but the cool thing about with having straight roads and the size of the hitbox of a boat you can space the ice blocks out one block apart and it still coasts over the top of them and then all right. you have to do is put slabs around the side to avoid spawning. I put buttons on top of all of the blue ice blocks so that they don't spawn anything either because they are solid spawnable blocks. And then the road just goes on forever. And it's it, it, it probably saves me time doing it this way with two longer, straighter roads than doing one diagonal road and having to deal with all of the problems that that throws yeah. in, in your face. Yeah. Now, did you do anything with regards to like blocks with the just the right hitbox sides coming in from the left and the right to kind of keep the boat aligned or is the are you steering on the blocks and just staying I'm, I'm, on the straight and row? <laughs> i'm steering and hoping is most of what, the way it works it's kind of yeah like a, you do you do drift quite a lot but um with it only having you know one block either side of it uh, before the wall gets there and and the whole thing is like completely closed in in terms of the walls i've left a couple of gaps in the roof here and there but nothing Mm. major you still just kind of like you slide along the side of the wall instead of it slowing you down and you don't end up falling off the ice at any point there so i'm i'm just about able to kind of you know speed myself down here and drift around a corner and i slam into the wall but obviously it's not doing me any damage so it's not a, a huge problem right um, yeah, the, the the main problem right now is that as soon as I get to the end, I can't slow down in time. When when I see the nether portal, I know I'm hitting the nether portal. And so as soon as the boat lands in there, I try and get out as quickly as possible. But then the boat's already gone through the nether portal and through to the other side. <laughs> and so when I break it in the nether portal on the other side, the entity boat goes back through to the nether. But then that does mean it's kind of stored itself there for when I need to come back. So it's actually, it's it's not too bad. As long as I don't have right a full on. inventory at that stage, I'm good. Is this faster than flying? Like if you built a tunnel to fly through, can you fly just as fast as a boat or is it faster? 
it's faster. It's just a bit more fiddly because you've got to make sure you've got a boat with you and, you know, mm. put the boat down, get in the boat, start rowing. Um, flying can be a little bit more hands-off. I, I mean, all you have to do is just move the mouse around a little bit and, and occasionally right-click. Um, I think boats move faster. I'm pretty sure the flight speed of a light tray is around like 30 blocks per second. And this is 72 blocks per second on blue ice and 40 per second on packed ice. So I think wow. it's it's faster. It's just like a little bit more infrastructure that you have to put in place beforehand. And this is all up in the nether ceiling. It's not above the roof, but it's just below. It's at like Y110 right. in the nether. So mm-hmm. it's actually pretty easy to get up there with a ladder or a minecart elevator. And I think the whole thing, I'm going to thank myself for it in the long run because otherwise I'd be flying through open nether terrain with ghasts shooting at me and trying to memorize yeah. a route over to like a thousand blocks in whatever direction. I think it's just, it's easier this way and I'll Ultimately, it's going to be a lot more sensible to use it long term. It's one of the things that we've skipped over on the Citadel with our fast travel command blocks uh, because of the build zones and the long term nature of the world. Yeah. uh, And traveling 10,000 blocks, you know, in the overworld in both directions. So like roughly 15 to 20,000 diagonally. Um, Even in the nether, that's not short. It's not terribly long, but it's not short. Um, but we've just not had the need to do the tunnels because you know, for us, it was just like, well, we'll just, for the sake of convenient, busy adults, we'll just do the fast travel thing. The idea at first was to create some sort of payment system so that the fast travel would take something valuable like diamonds or netherite or just something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we just never bothered to install it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair. so, uh, so yeah, we haven't really figured that out, but it means that there's, there's some nether tunnels that we had for early game stuff, but like once we've started expanding into different areas, we don't really connect things up via the nether very often, which means yeah. that we miss out on like nether tunnel decoration opportunities, fast travel, cool boat things and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, very cool. I, I like the idea. It makes me want to just have one just for the sake of having. Yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're fun. Like just going at that speed in Minecraft, especially if you've got like, I, I installed coordinates HUD from Vanilla Tweaks just so I could see the coordinates oh, yes, while mm-hmm. I was running around and not have the entire F3 debug screen on the screen. And I love watching the numbers go by that fast. Like, I, I would decorate this tunnel if I thought I was going to see any of the decorations, but short of doing like a Millennium Falcon going into hyperdrive, kind of like warp speed lines on the side of the tunnel kind of thing, I'm not really going to see most of the decoration in this. So yeah. I think it's going to stay primarily very functional, maybe a bit of signage to make sure i know which biome i'm going to but aside from that yeah i don't really uh i don't think i'll need to decorate any of this stuff you need to do like one of those beetlejuice tunnels like just black and white just kind of have it st- <laughs> yeah. strobe by you and just blur everything it's too bad that you like you need like forza horizon 5 sound effects on the boat so instead of the rowing noises you need like a yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah just having some a, high performance sport like, boat yeah like a rally car engine kind of thing yeah entirely. there you go <laughs> well we should probably get into some news before we get carried away and talk about um speedboats for the the rest of the episode <laughs> yes um, let's do it this week we've got minecraft java edition snapshot 22w 16a slash b uh b was just a quick bug fix uh there was a crash in a so there's not a lot to talk about for b so we'll be focusing on a and 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 in snapshot 22w 16a is a chance to relive the good old times uh, appears in a uh, ability to defragment a disc, a new music disc, to be precise. This snapshot also comes with even more new music, tweaks to the LA, and on top of it all, uh, some random gameplay and even some slightly more predictable things. 
in the new feature category, we have new music and we have the disc fragment five and the music disc five for new music tracks. The new music tracks are called ancestry, airy firebugs and labyrinthine. I hope I'm saying that right. Airy firebugs and labyrinthine can be uh, all play amongst other songs in lush caves and all types of swamps, forest and jungles, as well as the main menu. Ancestry plays in the deep dark. Music disc, disc five by Samuel, Samuel Oberg. Uh, unlike other discs, it can only be obtained by finding and crafting nine disc fragments together. These disc fragments can be found rarely in ancient city chests. Changes in 22W16A include tweaks to the LA, improved the predictability of a number of gameplay events. Frogs can now spawn on grass, mud, moss carpet, mangrove roots, and muddy mangrove roots. Frog lights are now movable by pistons. In the LA tweak category, the LA's health has been raised from 10 to 20. The delay after an item is thrown by an LA is lowered from 5 seconds to 3 seconds. Item search range was raised from 9 blocks to 32 blocks, mirroring changes we've seen recently in Bedrock. Movement and speed changes include that the LA is now slower when just wandering. The LA is now faster when collecting items going to the player or going to a note block. And the throw arc of the LA has been changed following community feedback. Predictability and randomized events. Some events are now more predictable and no longer have a possibility of extreme behaviors, such as placement and velocity of things dropped from droppers and dispensers, placement and velocity of items spawned from containers when destroyed, randomized follow underscore range component attribute for mobs, velocity of horses spawned from skeletal tra skeleton traps, blaze random position and randomized speed of blaze projectiles, randomized portion of damage and velocity arrows, randomized flight patterns of fireworks, and bobbing patterns and time until fish for fishing rods. Bobbing patterns meaning like the bobbing on the end of your fishing rod. Technical changes in 22W16A include the LWJGL library has been updated to version 3.3.1, added a heap memory allocation metric to the F3 debug screen, added do warden spawning game rule, and updates to paintings. Paintings are, sorry, placeable in survival and can now be controlled with painting underscore variant placeable tag. Added unused paintings from Bedrock Edition, Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water. These paintings are not placeable by default, but can be added through a data pack. Fixed bugs of note in 22W16A. Axolotl frogs, turtles, and striders couldn't pathfind through open doors. LAs don't drop their held items upon death. LAs can despawn after being given an item if they haven't picked an, any items up yet. Wardens can get angry at mobs outside the world border. Wardens can hear mobs beyond the world border. Wardens can spawn outside the world border. That doesn't seem fun. Wardens can spawn in very narrow places, causing them to suffocate. The full list of bugs, of course, is available from the snapshot changelog at minecraft.net, which will be linked in our show notes. 
In Bedrock Edition news, uh, Minecraft 1.18.30 released on Bedrock this week. Uh, so an actual full release as opposed to a beta. This one will just be downloaded whenever you load up the game next. The change summary includes an updated Create New World experience, which is gradually going to be rolled out to players starting from the day of its release. Uh, worlds can now be created with 64-bit seeds for total seed parity with Java Edition. Many changes have been included to improve damage and hunger calculations. Under the experimental features toggle you will still find things like the Deep Dark and the Warden which were previously in beta versions. And the new Minecraft Bedrock rendering engine, Render Dragon, which we're familiar with from uh, Windows version, uh, is now live on Android, iOS, Switch and Windows 10 x86 builds. Uh, this consolidates everything into the new graphics engine and allows Mojang to continue investing in future performance and stability improvements, as well as exciting new features. So, as far as gameplay changes and tweaks go, there are a whole bunch of them. We won't be listing absolutely everything here, but we're going to be focusing on the changes to parity. We're probably going to have a bit more of a discussion on that in, in future episodes here. But um, the gameplay changes as far as parity goes, they have tweaked the hunger depletion rate to better match Java Edition. Players now properly lose hunger when sprinting or swimming and lose significantly less hunger when jumping. Exhaustion rates can also be tweaked in behavior packs if you want to adjust any of those values behind the scenes. Shulkers now have a chance to spawn another shulker when hit by a shulker projectile, so we have the shulker breeding mechanics in the game now. Uh, Drowned can no longer spawn where the block light level is above zero, good news for rivers everywhere. Bees no longer become angry when beehives are destroyed by silk touch. Untamed wolves can now be leashed, mobs can no longer spawn on top of campfires. The Ravager would now attack and target the Wandering Trader, and he deserves it. Uh, mobs spawned from a dispenser are now persistent. And Nether Brick, Iron and Gold Nuggets, Red and Brown Mushroom Blocks, and Chorus Plant and Flower Blocks can no longer be used as fuel in furnaces. There are also some pretty significant changes to combat, especially when it comes to uh, hunger and regen and that kind of stuff. Uh, they've improved the accuracy of damage calculations, they've fixed some issues where damage invulnerability wasn't being applied properly, and fixed an issue where the protection enchantments mitigated too much damage, which has now been changed to match Java Edition. They've also added in the armor toughness value permanently, we saw this in the beta previously, so diamond armor and netherite armor now have a toughness value of 2 and 3 respectively, and armor reduction calculations have been tweaked to account for toughness. So netherite armor will now reduce more damage than diorite armor. Lowering the amount of knockback resistance granted by netherite armor was also on the slate, along with punching now dealing less damage, which better matches Java Edition. I believe punching did a two-point damage, like a one-heart damage on Bedrock, which it now deals half a heart as per Java Edition. Uh, damage is now calculated more accurately by properly calculating and storing partial damage for larger damage. Mobs across higher and lower difficulties have had their damage adjusted slightly accordingly. Mobs with knockback resistance, such as Ravagers or Zoglins, now receive less knockback when hit by an Iron Golem. The armor and protection reduction calculations have been made more accurate. Dragon's Breath now properly deals damage. Protection enchantments now properly work on most damage types, and landing on a stalagmite is now properly considered full damage. That is just the parity changes. <laughs> like I said, there is a huge changelog which includes more bug fixes, experimental features, and gameplay tweaks. We don't have time to read it all here on the show, but you can find it in our show notes, and that's once again linked over at minecraft.net. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but I feel like as these snapshots get longer and longer bug fix lists, I, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to the wild update. 
being a thing. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's interesting that so far we have not seen a couple of things that people have been suggesting would be in the Wild Update. Things like Fireflies, which we know aren't frog food anymore, but we haven't heard anything about Fireflies since then. And a lot of people are wondering, are birch forests going to get updated in this uh, uh, this update? Like, they you know, showed the concept art for it, Minecraft Live. Uh, my inclination is probably not, um, but I think we'll probably have some more discussions about that closer to release, just to give Mojang some time if they've still got some stuff they want to work on. Because clearly they've been working on some things. We have a new music disc, and obviously some of the, um, you know, N-City loot and stuff is being changed too, but you're right that along with like advancements being added in we've got new music by lena rain we got a new music disc it, it feels more like we're in the polishing phase of features for this snapshot rather than um you know being in the still we're still adding tons and tons of new features kind of phase and the new stuff that they're adding likely don't need tweaks like i don't see tweaks to firebugs or you know tweaks to sorry like the, the song firebugs i don't see tweaks to the soundtrack or tweaks to a new music disc really needing to happen between yeah. now and release whereas you what you are seeing are tweaks to the la tweaks to where mobs uh frogs can spawn that kind of thing um so not many new features more like just tweaks to the existing features that are coming mm -hmm. um speaking of the frogs um i i thought um a, a quick note in question really cool that they're able to spawn on so many different things hopefully that'll make them appear more regularly in mangrove swamps for people um but correct me if i'm wrong is this the only mob that can spawn on carpet on moss I, carpet? I mean <laughs> i think so right i i don't i don't think anything else spawns on carpet because carpet does still have like a small change in block height and typically mm -hmm. stuff doesn't spawn when there is a change in block height it's only on solid blocks so yeah, that's that's an interesting catch. That's the first time we see a mob spawning on something that isn't a, a full solid block. So, like, you want to build a frog farm, moss carpet sections of a swamp, and nothing <laughs> yeah. else can spawn there but frogs, right? Interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, I can you know? I can see that working. <laughs> you gotta gotta spawn proof a lot of other terrain, but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's assuming that moss carpet works the same way as like wool carpet does. I'm, I think it yeah. does, but I'm pretty I've, sure been, it does. I've only ever used it for decoration, right? I've never used it to spawn proof, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm using it to spawn proof in the area for my slime farm right now. The, the lid of the oh, farm okay. is, is covered in moss carpet, and I don't think I've ever seen anything spawn down there. There should be slimes all over the place. So yeah, that, that, that could be right. That could be right. Very interesting. So as far as the other tweaks, uh, I mean, I, I think the LA changes all make sense. Uh, I thought the changes that we shared about the Bedrock uh, LA uh, a week or two ago, I was just like, okay, well, I know that it's probably going to trickle down to Java because it makes sense to have like an increased range and speed things up when it's supposed to be fast and slow things down when it's supposed to be slow. The one thing that I think still needs a lot of work is the, the throw arc, as they're calling it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the problem is in the name. <laughs> The fact that it's an arc <laughs> you know, is is part of the problem. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it has to be pixel perfect accuracy, but similar to the bug fix that they just made with um, really strange like outlier uh, directions from droppers and dispensers, I think that the LA could have a similar dropper slash dispenser sort of function where, yes, it's not going to be perfect, but like it misses half the time in any animation or any clip that I've seen online of the LA throwing its item at the at the the target. I think part of it is because the LA doesn't stop moving 
Yeah. And so its momentum, when it throws stuff, it just kind of like carpet bombs as it goes. And (laughs) I kind of feel like if it was something that was like focused, then it it might be at least more predictable. I'm not saying that it has to be on one specific block all the time, because I understand that there's some sort of like contraptions that the player's going to want to make. But if you could at least have it like fly up to a note block and throw it at the side of the note block and have it hit the note block and then drop in a predictable manner. So it's still going to look cool when a couple of LAs come up to a note block and just start firing stuff. But like, at least your collection is going to be a little bit more predictable because I don't want to have to have a three by three of hoppers or more to collect stuff from an LA, right? Yeah, yeah. Like having large pads of hoppers sort of seems to defeat the point in a way because you'd yeah you'd want to use those hoppers to move stuff across the room instead of having the LA do it for you. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like there's there's going to be a bit of compromise, and as we've said before, I don't think they want to make the LA all powerful. But yeah, the, it, it it may still be that it needs some work, and it seems like. A lot of the changes to random events like, yeah, dispenser and dropper item, you know, push direction, that kind of thing, they've been refined. They've not just been made entirely uniform, but the extremity of those events has been dialed back a little bit is the impression that I got. And so I think that may even have been as a result of them trying to change the way the LA throws stuff and make that a bit more accurate is that, you know, everything else was made more accurate in the process which might mean that it's possible to do more with some of the other mechanics in the game like if you think about the extremes of direction that tnt gets when you dispense it meaning that sometimes your contraptions blow up if they're not built right or you don't have stuff to align the tnt if you think about how difficult it is to hit the bullseye on a target block from a distance not because you're bad at aiming but because the arrow always has some random direction applied to it I am kind of wondering what else is going to be slightly affected by that that's going to have long-term implications for the game. Slice Lime has a great video out that um, that he does whenever there's a new snapshot, but it really does a good job of explaining those like random uh, gameplay behaviors that have been refined uh, with visual kind of indications about what it is and what it like what it used to be and what it is now. And I, I, it's, re, it's very cool to see. Like when you see the visual explanation, you go, okay, I, I get it. I understand what they've been revine, re, refining. And um, I think it's going to help for people that do like a lot of really heavy, I don't want to say, I guess scientific stuff, like sci, like Sidecraft, uh, like that kind of use of droppers and the, the need for it to be precise and that kind of thing. Uh, I feel like those changes, are, I think, are going to help um, a lot of, players that rely on the game to be even if it's not predictably accurate they need it to be at least be predictable within a range and i think that knowing that that range is a little bit tighter i think is is good yeah uh we're going to save most of our discussion of the music discs for the main discussion i have a lot of thoughts about like lore implications and stuff but i feel like we may as well tie that in with our thoughts on uh lena rain's music and um sure. the, the the music disc experience so so let's keep it focused on what else is left um paintings they've they've added four new paintings to java that were previously available in bedrock edition but they haven't put them in survival they've effectively left them behind a you know a data pack kind of wall because they're not really intended to be in the survival game for the most part um 
I I know there's there's been a lot of discourse in the community lately about paintings and wanting more of them. Personally, the thing that bo bothers me the most about paintings is that with the exception of the ones that are one block wide, they're all even numbers. And since we default to odd numbers so frequently in building, it becomes really difficult to find a painting that fits in a house without it being like slightly off to one side or the other, especially in a smaller room. Like how often do you end up using paintings in Minecraft? And do you think you'd use the other ones more? The only paintings I've used are the custom texture pack mm -hmm. because I took some of my friend's paintings and turned them into pixel art and put them on the, the, the painting files because the, she does kind of some abstract or, or very impressionistic stuff. So when it was reduced to pixel form, it really kind of works, you know, in terms of um, jiving with Minecraft, it works more like a color experience than it does a real rendered image Yeah. Uh, at that resolution. And I've always thought paintings were, for the lack of a better word, dumb. Like I just, I find that they're meme -y and I, I felt like they were kind of added as a joke. I never really understood like there might be one or two that are probably suitable for putting up in your house. Uh, however, on the flip side of that, I was just like, how have we not had earth, wind and fire and water in the game forever? Those are great, mm -hmm. right? They, they feel Minecrafty. They're simplistic. They give you the impression of a landscape or the impression of something, but they don't feel, they don't feel out of place. All of the paintings to me, like blue boy and pig head thing and what like whatever else is in the paintings i don't know all the names um the spider like they always feel so out of place mm -hmm. in in minecraft for me and um i like the idea of adding more paintings i like the idea of having like you could hang any of those um you know earth wind fire paintings in a medieval city or a modern city they work just fine you know and yeah. i think that's a sign that they really kind of jive with the minecraft aesthetic of like it's sandboxy and like, yes, it's a painting and yes, you're specifically putting it down, but you're more matching color and mood to what you're doing. And it's not a specific thing, you know, like there's a painting of the wither, I think that I would never put up anywhere. Yeah. Um, there's the, there's the one that's, I think it's the four block wide and two block high one. That's just a screenshot of Donkey Kong. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to put this up in a medieval house. <laughs> like exactly. what, is, what is Donkey Kong to these people? So I think it's just, uh, it's a very strange mishmash of stuff that just got added way back in the day. And a lot of them are done by an artist whose name I forget. Um, it's probably on the Minecraft wiki. So if people want to do their research, they can, but a lot of the original canvases for these are like full paintings that are actually quite interesting. Like they, they, in their original form, they feel quite evocative in some ways. And I feel like them being rendered down in pixels still has some of that stuff. But I think it's way more interesting to me to see, oh, what, this is what that was the entire time? Like the, um, the two block tall, one block wide painting of like a guy standing with a walking stick or something like that is actually part of a larger image and it was just trimmed down to that one area. And there's a couple of them that have other details that you just don't see because of the the conversion to pixels. So it's it's an interesting field. And it, it sort of reminds me a bit of how when you make a banner in Minecraft and then you try and put it on a shield, you lose so much of the detail because the shield removes a pixel and tries to squish everything into a smaller space. It's 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 really odd. And so I think people are keeping this painting discussion going right now. And I don't know if the developers have any intent of adding new paintings to the game other than these ones which aren't really in the game as far as survival goes but i'm i'm curious to see if anything else comes up in that regard i'm surprised that they didn't do it with the 
um, resource pack overhaul a couple of updates ago. Mm-hmm. And there's always the programmer art. Like if you want these original paintings, if you've got a, a soft spot for the wither painting and then you really want to keep it, you could always just use the programmer art for it. But I'd like them to go forward thematically. Like we've got, you know, earth, wind, fire, and water. What about moon, sun, water, mountains? Like just give us some cool impressionistic kind of basic shapes and colors to to play with. And I think that could be a, a lot of fun. And as you said, a like odd number paintings, like three wide by one tall and three by three. And like, that would be awesome. Uh, Christopher Zetterstrand or Zetterstrand is the, uh, the artist. So yeah, that's uh, if, if you want to go to the painting page on the Minecraft wiki folks, there's some really interesting stuff in there. Uh, before we move on to email, um, I'm happy that 64-bit seeds are finally in the full Bedrock release because seed parity means one less thing we have to clarify when talking about Bedrock and Java. Um, the other thing is all, all of those changes to hunger and regeneration and protection and stuff are going to be very welcome because when I've been playing Bedrock Edition recently for RTX videos and other stuff, you do need to eat food constantly, um, especially if you're into the habit of running around and jumping to you know move a little bit faster your hunger starts depleting more or less straight away. And beyond that, part of the reason the wither fight was so difficult for a long time on Bedrock is because of the balance between saturation and regeneration and health regen working differently on Bedrock Edition and the fact that its attacks basically ignored the protection enchantments on your armor. So I'm wondering, going back to Bedrock Edition now, if the wither fight is going to be a little bit easier for people or if it's just going to be manageable to begin with for people. Even though its behavior is very different on Bedrock, I think with a little bit of extra protection, the player has a bit more of an edge against the wither. So uh, crossing our fingers and seeing how uh, how well the wither fight's going to go for Bedrock players from now on. I'm sure there's a lot of folks that are happy about the parity changes too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, looking at you, Prowl. Uh, <laughs> I think we we might need to talk to Prowl at some point about his his uh, ongoing vendetta, or, or I won't say vendetta. That sounds too mean, but like his ongoing quest to have uh, parity between the two versions, and and asking Mojang to focus on that. Um, in the meantime, though, let's get into some listener email, shall we? Sounds like a plan. If you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and i'll add in a little note here uh if you are kind enough to go and leave us a review or a rating on one of the podcast platforms like spotify or the itunes store that's for a review it's not for an email if you do send us a message in that review we're not gonna read it because reviews are read by other people not us (laughs) so don't don't email the show in uh the comment section of the itunes reviews Uh, email us at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com keep them short keep them sweet uh johnny has the first email for us now yes this one comes in from skunk itis which is an itis i'd rather not have and the subject (laughs) is lava fishing loot hello joel and johnny i was listening to episode 189 and was intrigued by the idea of lava fishing what if while lava fishing the player could catch a permanent heat source for furnaces and blast furnaces In my mind, this could be a small mob such as a lizard, think a salamander from some popular fantasy RPGs, or maybe a snake. Once caught, the mob could be placed in a furnace where it would curl up all happy and cozy and power the furnace. If a permanent heat source was too game-breaking, maybe the mob has to be fed after smelting a certain number of items, say a double chest's worth. Other options could be something like packed magma, where the magma block powers the furnace rather than a mob. Either way, this could be a rare find only obtainable with certain enchantments on the fishing pole, or in the case of a mob, maybe adding bait to fishing. Skunkitis was lost in thought at all the possibilities of a beautiful sandbox game and had many exciting adventures. First off, great sign-off. I'm glad that 
you're just full of thoughts and possibilities in the sandbox game. Second, glad you're alive. <laughs> yes, instead of just dying in the, the sign-off <laughs> message a, like yeah. most of our correspondents end up doing. Yeah, um, although you can be alive like on the other side of the room, skunkitis. I don't necessarily need you to be like shoulder to shoulder <laughs> with me. Uh, it's a good thing that there's not like smell-o-vision in Minecraft. Uh, I um, I love the idea of a a mob like I I think a permanent heat source is pra is likely out of the question. Yeah, um, I mean it, it it ends up just making a bunch of the game obsolete at that stage. Right. So yeah, I don't I don't know if we really need a yeah. permanent heat source. However, I like the idea of creative heat sources in the same way that you know the Strider instead of a netherite boat is a, is an interesting addition to the game. I think that you know we touched on it earlier. Like we kind of already have infinite fuel with bamboo. Like it grows so fast that you really don't have to think about it. If you have enough of it, then you're just going to have full furnaces all the time. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm but, I'm, farm, I'm farming lava now, and it's like there's a hundred smelting right. operations in buckets that refill within twenty minutes. You know, like mm -hmm. I think I can I. Can can make lava faster than i can use lava right now which is amazing um yeah i'm wondering if instead of feeding a little mob because i like the idea of a mob i compacted magma it's cool but like i i think a mob would be more fun and i like the idea of like minecraft technology being like the flintstones you remember any <laughs> yeah, clips from like, the Flintstones? Where there's like, like a bird that's a record player and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah exactly. And and the dishwasher is just like the trunk of an elephant that you, or a mammoth that you pull in from the window and like you squeeze it and it washes the dishes for you, like yeah, that uh -huh. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I feel like this would be really fun to have like this little salamander lizard thing um, that you have to, it, if you catch it and then you put it in the furnace and it makes your items it smelts whatever like maybe it's twice as much as a lava bucket i don't know P pick your poison as to how efficient it is but then when it, it's done you have to recharge it instead of feeding it so you have to reheat it maybe it has to be removed from the furnace and given like a bath in lava and then uh, or maybe it has to like sit on a magma block for x amount of seconds until it reheats itself and you could potentially, depending on what the AI is on this mob, have it be removed from a furnace with a hopper when it's done. You could then um, maybe dispense it into its own little cage where it then, you know, fills up with its heat source and then walks into another hopper and then goes back into the furnace. Or maybe you have to go through and manually move them around. I don't know. But like it's just that kind of stuff I think would just be hilarious. And it's almost too bad that there's not a visual for it. You know, like it's it's too bad that the mob would just be like a little sprite art inside the furnace rather than, like I said, with the Flintstones, that it's not going to be sitting there like a campfire. You know, you can put food on it to cook it. It would be cool if like you could put stuff on the back of this mob, like a giant fire turtle, and it would just kind of sit there and cook things for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find it very amusing. You, you could even use similar sort of animations and stuff to silverfish and endemites right now. If it's this little lizard kind of thing, then it could burrow into furnaces the same way silverfish disappear into stone. And then you just look in the, the, the input slot of a furnace and it's just kind of curled up in there. It's a very cute idea. Um, and so it, it makes me feel very devil's advocate to be like, we don't need any more furnace fuel options. Um, and we've even had some of the more accidental ones removed from Bedrock in the latest update. Um, I do love the idea of fishing up creatures every so often rather than items, though. And so I like the idea of lava fishing and actually pulling something out of the lava like this. 
Um, honestly, I'd just be happy to fish a strider out of a lava lake because they never seem to be close enough to the shore for me to, you know, bait them in with a warped fungus. But yeah, it's an interesting idea. I don't know if it needs to be applied to the fuel situation because that's sort of trying to solve a problem that had already been more or less solved for us. But there's there's potential for stuff like this in revising fishing mechanics in future. Sure, I'd be I'd be happy with something like that. Next email comes in from the Deathly Cow. Jukeboxes need love. Hello, after playing through Subnautica Below Zero and with the release of the latest music-themed snapshot, I was thinking that it's high time that the jukeboxes in Minecraft would be improved. Below Zero has an excellent jukebox system and I think Minecraft should take some cues from, for example, jukeboxes in Below Zero are automated, once you find a music disc, it will be uploaded to your data bank and available for you to play on repeat whenever you need for, or sorry, without the need for a manual input. In Minecraft, I often find that I will only go out and find a new music disc and play it a couple of times for the novelty. Um, but if I actually wanted to listen to music, I just go to Spotify and play through automatically. Below Zero also uh, allows you to extend the range of jukeboxes by building speakers around your base. And I think Minecraft uh, could use a similar system maybe using uh, things like echo shards. Uh, you could come in from an adventure, perhaps use those to kind of expand the sound around your base. Listen to pig step whenever you come home from an adventure. Having the music already playing whenever you enter the base in Below Zero added so much life and charm to what was otherwise uh, a cold and lonely world. The deathly cow was eaten by a shadow leviathan whilst vibing to other side. <laughs> and and for folks who uh, haven't played Subnautica, don't look it up. It's scary. Um, so yeah, Subnautica is an interesting world to compare Minecraft to because it, um, for a start, it has the advantage of being high-tech while, while Minecraft is low-tech. I mean, we were joking about the Flintstones record player being a bird. <laughs> that's As far as we know, that's what happens inside of a jukebox. We don't really know. Whereas, obviously, yeah, Subnautica takes place in, you know, there's spaceships and you're deep sea diving on an alien world and it doesn't necessarily change whether or not it's possible for stuff like this to happen in minecraft but it does change the way it ends up being implemented it changes the way mojang delivers on stuff like that the vibe has to be different it has to be low tech or at the most magical like enchantment tables beacons there's a sort of mystical nature to some of that stuff um so a lot of one of you know a lot of the stuff that's limiting jukebox automation and and that kind of thing it, it could be done with hoppers for example like it's pretty easy to imagine a hopper feeding music discs into the top of a jukebox and just ejecting them when they're done but it doesn't necessarily work that way if you consider that hoppers usually just pull whatever is in an inventory out of it unless they unless the hopper is locked by redstone so just putting a hopper underneath the jukebox you'd imagine it would pull out the disc as soon as the disc was put in there without it even playing in the first place so there's there's some aspects of it that make sense if you're looking at it outside of a mechanical perspective and like this is the exact behavior that these components have to have but when you think about what hoppers normally do and how the jukebox would have to be an exception to that it starts to fall apart, or at least it starts to look a little bit more difficult than you'd expect. I saw something recently on Hermitcraft where they've had a, a data packer mod where the disk can be added to the the jukebox in that way. Mm -hmm. And it added functionality to me that just reminded me, like, this is why I don't mess with jukeboxes, because, like, it's just it's a manual thing. 
the time in versus reward out is just like, okay, I get to listen to this disc, you know, while I'm here. Uh, and I think there, there, there needs to be something more fun for the players to do with them and like for them to be enticing, I think, to be used in, in Minecraft. I agree with you that the below zero comparison, which I've, many people have told me that I should play because I like Minecraft so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the high tech stuff is a little bit like, I don't want speakers in Minecraft. You know what I mean? Um, but I guess, I guess that's essentially what a jukebox is, but <laughs> I, I like the idea of being able to, if you were able to use the music discs as your own soundtrack, like imagine if you had um, pressure plates or trip wires or in the future skulk sensors that heard you coming and then would activate a song of your choice. Like if you're going to go to your chicken farm, maybe it's going to play one song. And if you're going to go to your more aggressive, like, you know, um, skeleton spawner where you've got to stand there and swipe at stuff for five minutes, then it's going to play you something kind of more upbeat or aggressive, you know, from Mm -hmm. the Minecraft. Not that those really exist in Minecraft, but you know what I mean? Um, Just having those abilities would be cool, but like for whatever reason, again, first world Minecraft problem, walking over to a jukebox and putting the disc you want to listen to in while you go and swipe at skeletons just seems like too much. (laughs) Yeah. It it feels like a, it's, it's like me with voice control with, with my, my home uh, assistants, you know, like the remote control for the TV is right there. I have to pick up the Xbox controller to use the Xbox yet. I still turn it on with my voice because it's cool, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, So there's stuff like that in Minecraft. I feel that, you just you wanted to have that cool factor, and the jukebox for me just doesn't have it. Yeah, I I like the idea of jukeboxes having more automation at some stage. Figuring out how exactly that works is you know a challenge for the developers. But um, the one thing that I feel is a redeeming factor of jukeboxes, if you're not interested in just listening to music on them, is the fact that the music discs output different comparator signals from a comparator reading a jukebox. So you can kind of use them as keys if you're going to wire up a redstone circuit and have a specific music disc open a specific door in your base for example you could do stuff like that which i'm planning on doing at some stage in either my current world or other worlds i just want to be able to build puzzle elements that involve stuff like music discs um i do like the idea of echo shards being involved somehow but this goes back to what we were saying in the previous email segment we uh you need a way to place echo shards in some sort of block form, right? Like amethyst clusters. You'd need a way to have them placed around your base if you were going to use them to, like, amplify the sound and and, and bridge the sound to other areas of your base. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's weird because the jukebox range is either, like, too much or too little for you when it comes to actually listening to the music. You kind of want to wander off and do something else rather than stick around it, but then it either gets too quiet because you're too far away or you think, this is, like... I'm I'm 50 blocks away from this thing and I can still hear it incredibly clearly given that it's on the other side of a cave wall or something like that. So maybe some changes to jukeboxes could uh, could happen in future. We have uh, one more email that we're going to throw in the render distance because it's from uh, landscape artist Paulo Baggins. Uh, but we'll talk about that in the post show. So stay tuned. Yes. And in the meantime, we are going to keep the, the discussion more or less on the jukebox theme because... Uh, We do have a couple more tracks of music added in this most recent snapshot, and we have the Music Disc 5, which uh, I have quite a few feelings about, and and I think it's an interesting artifact in itself. I'm still not entirely certain if it's going to be everyone's cup of tea, and I'm not entirely certain if it's going to be everyone's excuse to go to ancient cities. 
Um, but I think a bit of homework for listeners, uh, for anybody who hasn't already, go and listen to the new five music disc, uh, whether in-game, in-creative, or you can look it up on Spotify, where uh, the Minecraft soundtracks are all pretty much there. They're all pretty much uploaded there. Um, maybe listen to music disc 11 while you're there. But it's in an interesting twist. Uh, the song titled 11 from C418's Minecraft soundtrack that has all of the other music discs in it is not the music disc 11 that we hear in game uh so you'll have to either find that in game or um listen to it on on youtube or anywhere you can find the actual music disc sound um because some of those are, are really interesting but before we get onto that um what's your experience of music discs in general joel do you like you've already said like you don't really find the jukeboxes that interesting do you still bother collecting them just to have the artifacts themselves or are they just something that passes you by uh, no, because I have like 14 versions of the same disc. I've never <laughs> found them that interesting because like you find, oh, cool. Another music. It's the same one that I already have. I, yeah. You know, uh -huh. I just, I don't find them that interesting. And because of the low functionality of it, I mean, like, I think, I think I knew about the comparator signal from the, the disc in the jukebox. But again, like if you have to put it in manually, that limits what you can do with it. Yeah. Um, and so I just haven't really been bitten by the bug to be the completionist and go and find all of the discs because like, I just, you know, like whenever I find one, it, it always seems to be the, the same one. And I know that you can build like a skeleton creeper farm situation where you can farm them, but that's a lot of work just to get them. And then just like, well, you've got them now. What? Nothing. Yeah. Like just to, for me, for me, I want to be specific. There are people I'm sure that love them. Um, and in a lot of ways, when I was listening to music, when I was playing Minecraft early on, um, I was listening to the, the soundtrack outside of the game because I found that the four or five tracks that were in the game would just repeat. And I wanted to listen to like the 20 or 30 songs that are on the two different albums. And so I went out and bought those and that's how I listened. Mm -hmm. Um, so for music in Minecraft for me, especially as a content creator has always been outside the game because then yeah. you're not, even if you're listening, you're not recording it in that way. Um, so that is cool. Although I have to say, I like the new tracks and I, and I have to remember when new releases come out to turn on the in-game music for like a couple streams, just to kind of like get the vibe and kind of like get the experience and stuff. Cause I, I didn't do that for Caves and Cliffs and I should have, um, yeah. Yeah. So for yeah, for me, uh, the the land the the music discs just haven't been a big thing. And to to, to go to your point against uh, against music disc eleven and this new five, um, soundscape experience. While I appreciate the technical feat and the expression behind it all, not really my thing. I'd rather listen to like a song. Um, the the soundscape stuff to me just ends up being distracting from what I'm doing in game, and in some cases, depending on how how it's composed and what's going on it's like nails in a chalkboard for me like yeah. i just i have to i have i kind of have to turn it off because i did i tried to listen to five i got a you know 30 seconds into it to kind of get the gist and then i was like nah i can't listen to this right now <laughs> no, that's fair i mean next question have you ever played bioshock the first one the um the one that takes place in the underwater city of rapture no because no, I think the use of these discs as soundscapes and like, you know, the, in in both 5 and 11, the broken music disc that's already in the game, um, you hear a lot of, you hear ambience and stuff, but you hear 
some in-game sound effects, a few real-world sounds, which are typically stuff like heavy breathing and, you know, grunts of effort. There's a little bit of, like, objects rattling around and stuff like that. Occasional haunting music, and then some additional sound effects that aren't necessarily part of the game or are heavily modified from Minecraft's gameplay that add sort of mystery and horror elements to it. And I sort of think of these music discs in a similar way to the audio logs that you pick up as you're exploring the game in Bioshock. You get these dictaphone logs that you play on like a little tape recorder and it just kind of like winds up and then you hear somebody telling a story about how, you know, the system screwed them over and they've moved to this underwater city to escape. And this is effectively Minecraft's way of doing that, or at least my interpretation of it, is that it's Minecraft's way of doing that in a game that doesn't have any text and doesn't have any speech. You know, at most the villagers go ha at you and that's what speech is. So in order to convey any kind of history through a recording of some kind without there really being any text beyond the end poem and the names of blocks and items in your inventory, you have to do it through stuff like music discs and soundscapes and that like level of ambience. And so it's an interesting use of music discs when a lot of them are just literally music and you see the you see the word music disc and you kind of think well that's not really what discs like 11 and 5 are they're more like audio logs to me and there's just a couple of implications there like you know who is recording this in the first place how are they recording it why are they recording it you can you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole which is why i I kind of have a bit of a fascination with this, even though I'm not normally one to speculate about the lore of Minecraft. Um, this has been kind of in the conversation amongst players for a little while. Um, to take us down a history rabbit hole here for a second, um, the Eleven music disc uh, was added around the same time that the Wither was added. It was added in like a, a, a point four release after the Wither was added in the Pretty Scary update. Uh, in 1.4.2, I guess. And um, before that, you could hear the music discs in-game. You could get them from a skeleton killing a creeper as of the 1.1 release, um, but you couldn't get disc 11 at all, and it was only added like a couple of major updates later, which was a relatively short amount of time in those days because Minecraft updates were coming out quite frequently. But I think it's interesting that this disc was kind of like held back for a while and by that point the um the herobrine hoax had happened in which a player tried to convince everyone that there was a ghostly version of steve with completely white eyes quote unquote haunting their game um and it's never been publicly stated that the disc has any connection to that i'm pretty sure it hasn't but since that was the prevailing horror story about minecraft people have kind of made the connection and imagined that the, the sounds of this person heavily breathing and running and it sounds like they're kind of clicking some items together, leafing through a few pages of a book and then they break off at a run again. You hear a few dirt blocks being placed and then there's this distorted noise that sounds really alarming because it's not like anything you've heard in, in Minecraft or in real life. And then it just kind of cuts off abruptly and leaves you with static. That's disc 11. And... I think it's very strange that the song titled 11 on Minecraft Volume Beta plays an entirely different composition 
and you sort of wonder is this disc broken because somebody tried to like record over it is the broken pieces of this just what comes out of the jukebox and was that disc initially meant to be music and then you know it's just been shattered but it somehow still plays there's a lot of weird questions that stuff like that brings up so i think for lorehounds for people who are really into this kind of deep diving the intentions behind it um i think discs like this create a lot of mystery and they leave a lot of questions kind of similar to what they're trying to do with structures in minecraft and ancient cities and the idea that there is civilization in the past of minecraft that we no longer get access to but we can still hear or see the remnants of i wonder if it's just because i'm a visual artist and while I used to play instruments and I'm, I call myself musically inclined, I'm not like a big music buff. I'm not a musician as an adult by any stretch. And I wonder if it's, I get a lot more lore mystery vibes and, and satisfaction from things like the ancient cities than I do from the music discs. Yeah. And I yeah. wonder if that's just like different, different strokes for different folks, you know, like just depending on what you're into and what medium speaks to you in terms of, how you think about lore, whether the music discs are either more appealing or more important to you in terms of your Minecraft experience, depending on what your real world experience is that you're bringing to the game. And the thing is, a lot of the music disc stuff is just entirely optional, right? It's a mechanic you have to more or less choose to engage with, whereas mm. exploring things and seeing structures isn't really something you can't like avert your eyes <laughs> before you see a desert temple. You right. know, it's just, it's just yeah. there. So yeah, it, it's, it very much feels like an optional, like let's go slightly deeper into this in the same way that collecting all of the audio logs and listening to all of that stuff does to get you the backstory in, in Bioshock. Um, when this music disc five launched, I, I wasn't all that interested in it initially myself because it just seemed like, okay, they're adding another music disc. It's probably a soundscape considering Lena Rain wasn't involved in the composition. It was a Samuel Allberg joint, I assume, because he's the lead sound designer. It's going to be more of like a an, another take on, on stuff like this. But listening to this and comparing it to the 11 disc, I think this disc has more use of current Minecraft sound effects than the previous one does. Like when you're hearing, you're hearing the player's footsteps, but they're minecraft in-game footsteps the only thing i think that you hear that is a real world sound effect is again like the the heavy breathing and the rest of it all seems to be compiled from minecraft sound effects and it seems a little bit more evident what is happening in this one compared to 11 because in 11 you sort of hear this distorted noise at the end you don't really know what it means in the five music disc it seems much more linked to ancient cities. You hear the warden's heartbeat, you hear the warden's roar, you hear a skulk sensor being tripped at one point, and that's like the end of the disc, like a, a roar happens immediately afterwards, and then it just kind of distorts and turns into static. So, you know, I think there's, if anything, the soundscape of Minecraft has developed to the point where a lot more of these sound effects can be recognizable in the first place. And if nothing else, that's just a, a credit to the sound design team that they're able to put together a soundscape that now feels inherently minecraft as opposed to just having you know the sound of somebody placing a block in it you know i think there's a there's a lot more to it than that um but beyond that yeah it's, it's interesting to see what people will think of this i have a concern about this disc in particular which is that it, it feels like the player searching for an ancient city finding it running into the warden right but it's sort of like the recovery compass where 
you can't really have the the feeling of listening to this disc and being scared of what you're hearing like the the dread if you've never seen an ancient city before and you're listening to this disc because you have to go to the ancient cities to find it <laughs> and yeah. so if you have to visit one to find this then the impact of it being you know ghostly noises the sound of a skulk sensor tripping i imagine if you'd heard that and you didn't know anything else about the deep dark but then you go out into the wild and the first time you hear a skulk sensor noise it would be terrifying but you have to have found the ancient city in order to find it unless you're on a multiplayer server and somebody else just gives you the disc um so i have a feeling that it changes the context of the record in that way and instead of invoking dread for you know players who've never seen an ancient city before you've already been there you've already gone through the struggle i feel like if you're listening to this disc and you hear a skulk sensor trip and you hear this roar what you're feeling then is sympathy <laughs> and not fear because you're like oh yeah you as well you know it kind of leads to this sort of relatable experience being conveyed by this disc instead of a horror experience which makes it interesting and i'm not sure how i feel about the mechanic of finding it in ancient cities as a result um and so yeah i presume if, if you're not that into music discs are you gonna are you gonna bother searching if you if you're in an ancient city and you find the disc fragments are you gonna bother taking them with you i mean i'll probably take them just to say that i've got them rather than having to go back to an ancient city to get them again mm -hmm. from the few videos that i've seen the loot tables right now you can get all of them by one visit to this ancient city not like you have to find several ancient cities to find them which i feel is a little bit strange for me it's it's more like what you said i i think putting the recovery compass and the um well not the recovery compass itself but the echo shards and the music fragment discs uh in the ancient cities it's not where they should be they should be in dungeon loot or they should be in, you know, um, places that you're going to get to just before you go to the deep dark so that, you know, we often talk about cues in Minecraft indicating like what you're supposed to do. Good example is like now we've got ruined nether portals around the overworld. So kind of hinting at like, hey, if you complete this, you know, it's kind of a hint as to what you might want to do to get to the nether. And I feel like how to approach the ancient cities for a minecraft player that maybe hasn't watched youtube um i feel like having an audio disc that you know is like ha it has i believe it has the same coloring as like skulk like it looks like it has like a turquoisey black look to it mm -hmm. and and i feel like that listening to that and then as you said hearing the different noises and the experience of like walking on wool and the roar of the of the warden I think that it would then, I prefer the the fear reaction. Like I think, oh wow, that sounds creepy and strange. And then when you are mining and you hear the skulk react, then you kind of freeze and go, wait a minute, I've heard that before. That's not good, <laughs> you know, or I don't think it's good. I don't know what to expect. And I think that's a better, I think it's a better mechanic to kind of like lead the players towards what they can expect when they go to the deep dark. Whereas with it being a reward for going to the deep dark, it's just like, okay, well, now I just have a recording of basically what I just experienced, which why would I want to sit and listen to that? Like, I, yeah, like I think that it has way more potential as a instructional tool, as a hint than it does. Like you said, as a, you've already been here. Here's a memento. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like they ha having gone down the route of stuff like, yeah, ruined nether portals, giving you hints at stuff. The hints are retroactive now. <laughs> they're more, mm -hmm. they're, they're more like keepsakes than than anything. 
Um, one last uh, thing before we get on to just the other soundtrack stuff, because I still want to talk about um, Lena Rain's um, Wild Update tracks. I think the missing link with the music discs is uh, there's a track on Minecraft Volume Alpha by C418, which is just called Death, uh, which follows the same pattern as discs that have more kind of ambience in them, uh, like 11 and 5. Um, Death doesn't appear in game anywhere. It doesn't play as part of the Minecraft soundtrack. I'm pretty sure it's not, you know, really in the game's code. Um, but some faint kind of Minecrafty music plays in the background. And in the foreground, you hear sound effects of a chicken clucking. There's a player kind of sneaking around. Presumably, you kind of hear like clothes rustling together and stuff. And then there is a swish, which I think is the old bow sound effect. Uh, there's a sudden kind of from the chicken and, and a very uncomfortably squishy sound as though the chicken is being like skinned or cut open. And then the very the very Minecraft pop noise of a player picking up an item. Um, and I always assumed that that was like the, the implication that I've had is that this was a, play, a player's first time hunting and killing an animal. Um, and the title death just seems very overly dramatic for a player killing a chicken. And obviously the chicken squawk noise is like comedy 101. But it's also really impactful if you think of it as basically the first death a player actively caused. You know, considering how few of us are used to killing to eat in modern society, just how gross the sound effect is after the chicken dies, and it's like, oh, clearly this player is trying to get the usable bits of this chicken. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a little bit creepy. But again, it doesn't appear in the game anywhere. That's not another music disc, and I assume they didn't want to load in too many of the creepy sides of this with you know, the the game being a, a sandbox and, you know, players making what they want out of the experience. And ultimately, players might have a very different vision of the story of their own Minecraft world. It's up to them whether these music discs kind of fit with their story. But as far as, yeah, people talk about the Warden making Minecraft into a horror game, I feel like there's been horror elements of this kind of from the start. You just have to dig a little bit deeper to find them. Yeah, I remember distinctly the the chicken noise because it always pulls me out of the music whenever I'm listening to it. I was like, oh right, it's this track, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I remember, I remember this. I use I usually go and skip it because like again, the the sounds are are uncomfortable. Um, I just, I do like the idea of um squeezing a chicken to make to have that noise. Like <laughs> yeah. I just I feel like that's a funny. It's too bad that you can't like especially for people that are animal lovers that don't want to go around and like kill minecraft animals to eat they'd rather eat vegetables and golden carrots and stuff like it's too bad that you can't pick up a chicken and like squeeze it and make it make the cluck noise and maybe yeah. poop out an egg you know yeah. uh or or vice versa like you can't like you can't um i don't think you can pet animals like in in a way that would be like if you go to touch a cow you punch it rather than yeah, pet yeah. it i mean you, can, it would feed, be kinda, you can feed them that's basically like yeah. all you can do but it would be cool if you could have that interaction with like the dogs, the cats, the cows. Like if you wanted to pet the pig and the pig kind of gave you like a happy oink as opposed to the unhappy oink they make when you use the axe. Like I feel like that could be kind of a fun way to to have more sound interaction in the game compared to discs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to just a brief chat about the, the new music though because rounding this off on a... Uh, as a slightly less horrific note i think some of the new music is fantastic i i've listened to firebug and i've listened to aries so far so there's um one more track that i have to listen to labyrinthine is the the only yes. one that i don't think i've i've listened to yet but i really like the first two i think those are those are really fun and having firebugs play in like a, a mangrove swamp would be 
like really good ambience i think and firebugs has quite a lot of layers to it like it's it's pleasant and then it's like a little bit off kilter in a good way like lost in a swamp or surrounded by jungle like it's 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 pleasant but you're also like i can't really see where i'm going so it's a little bit uneasy uh and i liked it uh and it goes to a different place near the end too like it gets brighter and and louder uh where i thought it was going to keep the same mood i find that the new minecraft music has a little bit more of a story within the song to it compared mm-hmm. to the other tracks that tend to just have the same mood from start to finish like there's yeah. no arc yeah, you know? no, L- Lena Rain's music is way more optimistic and driven is the two words I mm-hmm. kind of describe. And yep. and it's not necessarily all like major key, happy-go-lucky kind of music, but in contrast with C418, where a lot of his work is sort of more melancholy and ambient and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it kind of gives you the feeling of like, oh, you're alone in this world and a lot of that stuff feels very emotional. I think the emotion in Lena Rain's music is very, very optimistic there's still a sense of open space in it, especially in Firebugs, because it starts out with a lot of pauses and a yes. few of the Caves and Cliffs tracks are like that as well. There's just like a piano chord that she lets sit for a few seconds before the next chord comes in. There's a lot of pauses, but then everything builds a lot more. There's like percussion that kicks in later and it feels a lot more like something that you're just kind of nodding along to than uh than just it being kind of melancholy piano the whole time obviously c418's repertoire expands enormously when you look at some of the other music discs but that's really where a bit of more of like the the diversity of composition starts to come in yeah and i i felt like uh the the percussion is where i felt like um firebugs really changed but it again it didn't change to the point where it didn't feel like the same track or didn't feel out of place it just kind of oh okay this is different as if like you've spent time in this swamp now you know your way around and now as you're walking through your very familiar swamp you're like you know tapping on logs as you go by you know like in that like that the, the, the percussion kind of felt like hollow logs or like the impression of that kind of a familiarity with a, an environment which i thought mm-hmm. was really cool um, yeah. i really liked aries as well i thought that was pretty chill compared yeah. to firebugs uh you may fall asleep if you're playing late it has a lullaby <laughs> kind of feel to it yeah, sunsetty yeah. you know like kind of like late evening dusk sort of deal um and reminded me more of minecraft music that i'm more familiar with um i did listen to labyrinthine it is good as i mean they're all good um but i felt it was a bit different than other minecraft music and I mean, I'm less steeped in all the tracks. It's been a while since I've sat down and listened to them all to be, you know, super familiar with them. Um, but it did, it felt more modern in terms of like modern game music. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that I noticed the difference. That's all. Yeah. And I think there's there's some interesting contrast in the stuff that Lena Rain composed for the Nether update and then Pigstep. But that's why Pigstep was the music disc because it felt like a departure. So it's kind of interesting to see a, few, a bit more of like a stylistic mix in newer additions to the soundtrack. Uh, I think that's where we'll wrap up for today. Uh, if anyone else has some interesting input that they want to, uh, you know, send us via email about 
the soundtrack to Minecraft, or whether you, you've got theories about the five music disc, or if you're just into whatever the new stuff is, uh, please let us know. Be happy to hear from you about this. But that's where we're going to leave the show for today. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, please consider putting some value back in. You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. That will get you joined in our community, and you can pledge at any level to get an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat, participating in things like the live live show recording and the monthly Minecraft audio hangout is only a few steps away. Uh, we're currently at 343 patrons, there's always room for more of course, and special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo Sale, and Yitz. Thank you for your support on this episode. Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them that they should listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find the Spawn Chunks. Be sure to leave a rating on the iTunes store or the Spotify uh, platform. And uh, again, make sure to leave a review, not an email, because we won't get it. <laughs> uh, you can email the show uh, specifically for those reasons at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Reminder to keep those short and sweet. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is where you can find the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixel Riffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixel Riffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecizzlecafe.com. And Brockett and I talked about uh, the video games that we grew up with this past week, so that's going to be a fun conversation to get out later on. I haven't yet edited and published that show, but that's coming later on this week. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, with a special nod to this Friday, where I'll be streaming on my birthday. Happy birthday for then. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's on the record. Mm -hmm.